Welcome to the Sea Trade Maritime Podcast. You're listening to Marcus Hand, editor of Sea Trade Maritime News. In today's episode, we are going to be focusing on ESG and how that relates to the salvage sector. In some ways, ESG would seem very much a part of salvage as it involves protecting the environment in a marine casualty, but there are other areas of concern. Joining us today to give us an insight into this topic is Gina Paniertu, ESG manager for West of England PI Club. Listeners may be familiar with Gina from a previous episode of the podcast, where she talked about empowering young women in maritime. The focus of today's conversation will be rather different and give a preview to some of the areas that will be covered at the Sea Trade Maritime Salvage and Rec Conference in London this December. Gina, welcome back to the Sea Trade Maritime Podcast. It's a pleasure to be here, Marcus. Uh, I'm very uh, excited about this conversation, especially. Great. So, yeah, can't wait. It's a really interesting topic and not something that I think I've seen too much delved into. So, I'm really looking forward to getting your insights and what you can tell our listeners about this. ESG, you know, is very much a topic at the top of the boardroom agenda today. But how does it apply to the salvage sector? As I mentioned in the intro, there. Is it not a sector that by its very nature protects the environment with spill containment, prevention, wreck removal and so forth? Exactly. I mean, in its nature, salvage and salvage operations do protect the environment. But I think I'm going to start with an interesting case which kind of highlights why ESG is so um, important to the salvage operations. So you've probably seen, or if the audience hasn't, I will give some details, that we had a new ship owner on the block this year, which was the United Nations. And they technically essentially became the ship owner of the FSO Safer, right, which is a vessel which is alongside Yemen since 2015. It's a floating oil storage and it's uh, holding more than 1.14 million barrels of oil, right? Due to the war, of course, this has been left there. It hasn't been maintained to 2015. And this year, we actually saw the UN Environment Programme step in to take ownership, I guess, of this offloading operation. And we had Greenpeace describe it, of course, as a ticking bomb. So one of the main reasons that that happened, if I'm simplifying it, it is because of ESG factors, right? You've got a huge environmental impact if something does go wrong and this ticking bomb does explode at some point. The disaster could be irrevocable for the ocean health, given the sensitivities of the area being in the right sea. And it could affect, you know, almost up to 12 million people, their livelihoods and their lives. And the UN program, if you also go on the website, they talk about how 50% of that population is women and girls that will be affected. They also talk about how they plan to include in this contingency plan young people, uh, the communities, and make them a part of that. So I think all of those elements highlight how ESG is very important to the salvage sector. It is by default related to the environment, but it does the duty does extend way beyond to matters like local communities, sensitive areas, so touching upon, upon things like social and governance issues also. It's fascinating that it involves that FSO SAFER, which I mean, has you know, been, had global headlines, and as you say, and sort of Greenpeace and so forth. Is there a bit more you can explain about how ESG will apply more specifically to that operation? Well, I think the whole purpose that's driving this are technically ESG criteria, even though it may not be titled as ESG, right? 
because one of the main things that's trying to be done there with all of the the plans being put in place for the offloading operation and obviously I can't go too much into the technical details because I'm not an expert on uh, the operation but the consideration there is to avoid any oil spill that could happen to obviously avoid any big disaster that could happen from an explosion a big part of it as I said so this could really have a disastrous environmental threat. The spill anytime could go, you know, along the Yemen's Red Sea coastline to as far as the Gulf of Aden. As I mentioned, it affects 12 million people. That's what approximately the estimate is of local communities. So you've got the environmental aspect, which is one, obviously, keeping the oil out of the ocean, avoiding any explosions, but also ocean health and the safety there. It's a unique environment in the Red Sea. The damage could be irrevocable or it could take at least 25 years to start restoring itself. Then you've got the community element. Obviously, it's a zone that is suffering already where the location of this vessel is. So there's emphasis there on the social element of the communities, the women, the youth in the area and getting them involved in this process. And then the governance, touching upon slightly on the governance issue, where, of course, Nobody could do anything about the vessel due to the situation, the political situation and tensions. So the UN had to step in and take ownership of this project. So I think in that respect, that are all the ESG considerations that have been factoring in this process. Yeah, there's actually an awful lot of different factors there, the government. And as you said, actually with a lot of salvage operations, the communities that are effect, potentially affected and their livelihoods and so forth, Sort of taking that forward I and mean, more, more broadly to ESG for the, the salvage sector, are there standards for ESG for this sector? And is the industry aware of those standards if they are, if there are such? Well, interestingly enough, I touched upon it a bit earlier. So ESG is a new designation, right? Te- technical new designation, even though it's been around for years. Yet ESG type of standards have been, you know, a very important aspect of salvage operation. It's uh, it's definitely not a new thing. And you'd be surprised to hear that we're, you know, we're not far on track when operating in accordance to ESG principles. And I'm positive, you know, if you bring any claims uh, person in from one of the IG group clubs, especially, right, to explain the considerations of a salvage operation to you from eight years ago, even before ESG was the trend, they will tell you people safety come first, the environment, complying with international regulation, national guidance, sensitivities in the area, communities. And that's how you're expected to handle it as an IG. That's a standard you're expected to handle a salvage operation as an IG. Club. So my answer would be, while there's no set ESG standards as of yet while we're talking today, and while the savage sector may have only started to discuss ESG, as you mentioned earlier, probably last year, the Savage and Red Conference was the first time I saw ESG panel related to savage. The sector is not only aware of them, but it is how, you know, they approach these cases, whether they're branded as ESG or not. If you were to ask me, however, whether there is a need to brand it as ESG, and if there's more, you know, we should be doing and why, the answer would be yes. Of course, we do need to put this under the ESG umbrella, which provides this opportunity and structure to A, become more efficient, but also become more proactive than reactive in these situations because you are making decisions in a crisis situation that can affect all of these elements like communities, etc. You know, the deeper we go and the more we understand, the better job we can do in managing situations, 
avoiding them and have you know situations which do have this huge impact on the life of people and the environment. So as such, it's a lot of stuff that was already being done, but it's not got that sort of structured formal process to it. Exactly, exactly. Now you're coming from the background of a PI club, and obviously that's sort of representing the ship owners and operators in this. Um, do they have a role to play in this as well? And you know sort of the loss prevention part and so forth? Well, if you're talking about the owners, I always say this, uh, aren't they, you know, already have a million tasks on their list to do? They've got quite a few challenges, but joke aside, obviously it requires effort from all stakeholders in the industry to succeed in any uh, change process, uh, especially, you know, one which is so, I guess, in a way uncharted and new. So in light of this, definitely a big part uh, to be factoring in loss prevention going forward. Uh, the risks are new challenges, are changing. We've got new fuels, we've got technology, type of cargoes. I think we're talking about this a bit later in the discussion. But the risk factors are there, they're new, so you have to be preparing. So it's crucial for the owners to be ensuring the commercial viability of their operations, obviously, and the ESG considerations that keep shifting Nowadays, for example, there's also a very heightened focus on reputational risks, right, relating to ESG. Uh, so we're seeing the rise of climate activism. And if we think it's too far down the line, we've got activists throwing paint at yachts. So you never know what could happen. You've got heightened, you know, climate litigation. So these are all considerations that, of course, an owner needs to factor in. However, having, you know, said that and coming from a PNI club, which is there to support owners, their owners and operators do have a lot to deal with. So you need that team around you and support network to be proactive and reactive when it comes to salvage and this new ESG era and understanding it. And at West, for example, there's been a lot of focus from our loss prevention team to constantly follow and um, devote time to provide resources for our members and the expertise possible for owners and operators to understand these uncertain issues, to prepare for what the future holds. So ESG considerations are becoming very much at the core of how we're supporting our members. So in short, yes, the owners do have a role to play, but all stakeholders also have key roles in ensuring that they understand understand the shifting standards that they do exist, that they're met, that they're evolving with this rapid transformation on needs from regulators, government, stakeholders. So it, it is an all-hands-on-deck kind of process. Yeah, understood. Obviously, there are a lot of parties involved in these incidents. I thought it was interesting that you mentioned the reputational risk, because I think that's all increasingly something around casualties that companies are very aware of and conscious of. The salvage process itself often, I think, can be seen as being not particularly transparent. Is it perhaps more needed in that sense that all the different parties and particular communities know what's happening? Well, you're asking a question, so the answer would be, you know, transparency is key to get to that end result. But sounding a bit cliche, the famous saying of, you know, what doesn't get measured doesn't get done is kind of spot on when it comes to this, especially if we're trying to be more reactive. So my answer is yes, you know, transparency is needed to help to accurately measure, assess where we stand, what we're doing well, what works, what doesn't what could we be doing better? So the one thing is data transparency, which helps create those patterns. And once you've got those patterns, you can become more efficient on making decisions, especially ones that have to do with sustainability and such an important matter as the environment and people. 
And, you know, with savage operations have such a huge impact on people that you need to be working in that way. Understanding those realities can only come through transparency. It's, I guess, a bit like providing those uh, housekeeping rules when you're in, in a, a conference or a seminar. If you've shared in advance, you know, the exits, you know where they are, you know, maybe if one is blocked during a certain period of the day, which it shouldn't, I know, but I'm just trying to illustrate the example. You know that, you know, that, that increases your chances of understanding what's going to work in an emergency situation and guide people accordingly. And then the other brief element, of course, of transparency, if you're looking at it from a different perspective, is also sharing and showcasing, you know, those best practices and why they're working, why they're important. So transparency really is key in salvage operations on both gathering data and creating those patterns, but also showcasing what is being done and how it works well and why. So in particular, as we get sort of new vessel types, bigger vessel types, sharing information about how you tackle those sort of incidents. Exactly, exactly. As I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of things evolving from new fuels to new type of vessels. Uh, So it's very important to understand. The quicker we understand these patterns, the better we can strategize. Yeah, talking about sort of new vessel types and so forth, we've seen larger and larger container ships and so forth. And this with it has brought trend towards larger casualties that also carry a higher environmental risk. You know, for example, a bunker spill alone can involve 10,000 tons of fuel, even though that vessel is not actually a tanker, it's a container ship, for example. So how does that trend impact from an ESG perspective? Well, you know, I think we've discussed it also a bit early and it falls back to what we were discussing on that. We're experiencing an ever-changing landscape in maritime, right? New vessels, new fuels, etc. And that includes this new and bigger vessels and obviously a bigger risk and new risks. So technically, yeah, there is a risk for larger casualties. So the ESG perspective or rather the criteria do remain the same. What increases, I think, is that realization of how big this impact can be, the extent of damage and kind of being aware of it. And this brings a heightened sense of duty and an increased need to kind of anticipate the extent of the risk, plan those mitigation strategies that are well thought, consult ESG experts and people who can look at it from a different perspective and understand, you know, outside of the box. And again, as I mentioned earlier, the better we understand things, the better we can manage it. So here is probably also, you know, where we see this heightened need for transparency that we were talking about before. The more data and information available from this new, you know, vessel types, vessel sizes, etc., the quicker we learn and the quicker we learn on how to deal, you know, with which such large-scale incidents and avoid them or the potential, of course, and the ESG considerations that need to be factored in your risk mitigation strategy. It's a bit, I guess, like an algorithm for maybe a new social media platform. Obviously, the more users you have means more information, more data, more patterns being shared. So it starts to become more efficient and adjusted to the reality and the needs which this new ESG era is seeing and this new type of vessels are are requiring. Would this then also apply to the cargo side? Because we've seen actually the fire just recently on the car carrier, Fremantle Highway, which was being linked to electric vehicles and the lithium-ion batteries. So would it apply to also the dangers around some of those newer cargoes like lithium-ion batteries? Definitely. I mean, I think I might have mentioned this earlier, but this includes everything that you're, you're dealing with new vessel designs, new type of cargo that are being carried in the process. 
new technologies, new ways of working on board. So new types of cargo that fall under this environmental category are, of course, things that you need to be factor in. So I think, again, from the ESG strategy perspective, it comes down to a lot of what we discuss. It's new risks, part of an ever-changing world, and somehow the industry needs to factor them in. We're working towards you know, a very important cause. Being environmentally friendly is just the way forward. We've got no other option, right? So any form of change, especially you know, one that involves something such as protecting the environment and the new cargoes that then subsequently follow, will require adjustment, change management strategies, whether commercially or risk management. The key here is noted earlier, you know, to that have that team in place and the stakeholders who understand can support this transition. And again, if I come back to the standards of the IGU group, for example, they have a very important role to play in maintaining those standards, avoiding or also mitigating the risk of carrying this cargo. So it's important. And at West, for example, supporting your members to understand the standards, developments and new expectations of these new types of cargo or fuel or technologies, uh, but also having a very, very solid and robust infrastructure in place to deal with these teething problems. I know it's not exactly a teething problem and I'm not trying to downgrade it, but let's put it this way, right? If a major fire is occurring in a sensitive area as a result of this new change management process, I'm sure we want to be resting assured that people are dealing with this are capable, the resources are there, the financial security is there. You want this to be dealt at the highest standards, right? And I can't, but it's just, you know, again, how important it is for mitigating and avoiding this risk, a better understanding and thinking back on their algorithm, the quickest way for us to learn and understand and process as an industry and deal with this new types of cargos or whatever the case may be, is that transparency and feeding the algorithm with more data to understand these patterns. So a lot of different things to deal with there, a lot of different factors. If we look ahead, what are the sort of the next steps for ESG and its application to salvage? Well, I guess if people want to find out, they have to come to the conference in December, right? The salvage and rec one, uh, where we'll be discussing this quite in, in depth. But I guess if I could share a teaser in a way, so what lies ahead and what we will probably see happening is a more structured approach. I do feel that's going to be happening where the current process will fall and is separated in the three ESG pillars in a more focused way. We're generally seeing this increase in ESG reporting standards, not just within maritime, but globally. So things like the new EU regulation, CASRD, or for public listed companies, ESG reporting is becoming more stringent. We've got discussions on greenwashing, of course. So you need to be thinking about all of these considerations. I mentioned earlier climate activists, climate litigation. So this will consequently have an impact on how the industry wants to be talking about salvage and ESG and a much better awareness on how to approach and improve it and be more transparent or whatever is required to factor in this this element. My personal wish would be to see, in the context of transparency, more cases being showcased on why it's important, how it works, best practices. Because as I mentioned, that's the uh, you know um, that's the only way. How an ESG-led salvage operation is the only way forward to prove that we're going in the right direction. But yeah, as I mentioned, I think we will be discussing this quite in depth, and there may be 
more developments by December when we have the conference. Uh, so it's quite unclear to say, but I think that's my forecast on how ESG will be applying to salvage operations going forward. As you say, there could well be some developments between now and December, and we're really looking forward to those discussions um, at the conference in December, the Sea Trade Maritime Salvage and Rec Conference, which will be held in London. So, Gina, I'd just like to thank you so much for taking the time to appear on the Sea Trade Maritime Podcast. Thank you very much. Again, it was a pleasure, Marcus, to be here and always a pleasure to be part of the Sea Trade community and podcasts. Thank you. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Sea Trade Maritime Podcast. Thank you for listening.